You're listening to the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast. I'm Michelle Duncan. And I'm Andrew Allen. This is episode 33. Yeah. And we are talking in this episode to Tamsin of Actors of Dionysus. Uh, I should give you a little bit of a heads up about what's happening this week at Cast Iron. On Tuesday evening at 8pm at the Duke Brock Theatre, we have the live edition of the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast. Yeah, we'll be speaking to Aidan Goatley, local comedian. Well, national comedian. Well international comedian all three of those yeah and we'll also be speaking to theatre maker writer director producer paul mccauley and we'll be speaking to them both at, as i say the cast iron theatre podcast live it's uh, at the duke box theatre at 8 p.m on tuesday uh, also later in the week we have got cast iron 10 yeah which is our 10th edition of our short play night where local and not so local writers have submitted their work to us to be performed by local actors directed by local directors, come down for an evening of fabulous new work. Yes, that's on Friday and Saturday, and actually if you're listening to this before the Friday and Saturday, or indeed on the Friday and Saturday itself, you can still be involved. We're looking for rapid response plays, those are plays of about four or five minutes, which you can submit to the um, address that we're about to give you, and it's for uh, two-handers, we'd like uh, those plays to be for two people, and gender-blind and age-blind if possible, and ideally inspired by news events, either international or local news events. And those are rapid response plays, and if they get through, they will be performed by the actors on that night. Yeah, and you can send those plays, those rapid response plays, to cast underscore iron at outlook.com. Fantastic. Yes, and also we'll uh, be chatting in the next couple of podcasts about a busy calendar that we've got coming up for the end of the year. We've got Cacophony, our Edinburgh Fringe show, coming back for a one-night-only run. We have a cast iron selection box, and we have yet another um, live edition of the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast live Christmas edition. Yes, which will be a lot of fun and we'll be announcing those guests very soon. Yeah, we have tinsel. We do. We we, as well as our guests, we have tinsel. We might have crackers. Oh, uh, that's not in the budget. Okay, oh, we'll, we'll, sort okay. We can, we'll see what we can do. Right. Um, oh, we should uh, also explain a little bit about uh, this podcast you're about to listen to uh, with Tamsin Sasha of Actors of Dionysus. We recorded it in a... Because we normally record in the studio. Mm. Uh, but this time we recorded in Cafe Mojo on the Lewis Road. Uh, and the reason I'm mentioning that is because um, it, well, it's a busy coffee shop. It is a busy coffee shop. There are sounds of coffees being made, yeah. which the microphone delighted in it's picking up every excellent coffee. Excellent microphone. Yeah, excellent. And um, it also gets busier as as the uh, as the interview goes on. That's right. Yeah. Um, however, you know that that's life. I I think it's still worth a listen to because it's a really lovely interview. Absolutely, most of the in- intelligence and wit of the interviewee uh, is still there mm. uh, and the intelligence and the wit of the interviewer is well hidden by the sound yeah. of steamed milk I, i've had that review a lot <laughs> i don't even know what that means uh but yeah I don't don't no. dig too far let's into not that. go for that but um we must mention as well if you do fancy um contributing in any way you can always um review us you can always rate us on whichever app platform you download this upon yeah. indeed download it yeah, indeed you know 
you, you may stream, you may download. We prefer a download, it has to be said. If you'd like to contribute even more, we do accept patrons. We do. We have a Patreon page, so just search for SitPod on uh, patreon.com. Um, you'll be able to find ways to become a patron of yeah. the podcast, help to pay for... Recording time, recording facilities. Because yeah. <laughs> so, we, we, we have no sponsors. We, uh, we, we are sponsored by uh, Andrew Allen and Michelle Donkin. Mm. Um, so um, get in touch with uh, Andrew Allen and Michelle Donkin for all your needs. Not, for, not, not all your needs. For all your theatre needs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we'd, we'd welcome any, any help, any support. And if that means that you click five stars, then so be it. We will take that support. Yeah, we'll take that support. We'll take any <laughs> donation of money that folds. Uh, yeah. Literally. But yeah. Yes. So should, we, should we listen up to the podcast? We should listen up to the podcast. Enjoy. Have fun. Hello and welcome to uh, this um, episode of the Cast Iron Theatre podcast. Um, I'm very conscious of, of talking loudly and um, declaiming because we're um, in a public domain uh, today. We're at the, um, the Cafe Mojo on Lewis Road uh, where I tend to do a lot of my writing and working. Uh, so much so actually that um, Google Maps came here um, a couple of years back because occasionally Google Maps do uh, photography inside locations. And um, apparently I'm here so often, I'm literally the official image (laughs) of uh, Cafe Mojo. Um, Luckily, um, you know, I I wasn't, like, pretending to be ill off work that day. So, you know, we're we're, we're good. Um, So that's why you might hear a bit of um, exterior noise and people enjoying their coffee or their pastries. Um, And... uh, Today we're, we're talking to um, actors of Dionysus, although that, to be fair, I'm talking to one of actors of Dionysus, and it's, um, I've just got your surname, but it's Hamzin, isn't it? Shasha. It's Hamzin Shasha, and uh, how are you? Hello. Oh, hello, hello. Nice to be here. Thank you. So we should really sort of uh, get into it. Um, this sounds rather sort of like a, a job interview uh, question, um, because actors of Dionysus have been around for 21 mm. years now. You've 25 next 25 year. years. I uh, know. This is terrible. It just shows how old I am. Were um, you there at the start? Is, is it yours? Pretty much. It is now. I mean, uh, I was a joint artistic director for a while, but I took over the company probably about um, 13 years ago yeah. as a sole artistic director. Not via um, any sort of grand no, Grecian no. takeover. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't really. It, 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 um, it just it just came to be that yeah. I, I continued the company. Uh, I'm still very good friends with the um, the previous uh, joint artistic director. The, we don't have a joint artistic director. It's now me on my yeah. own. Um, and um, at that point, I kind of took the company in slightly a different direction in that um, as well as doing adaptations of ancient Greek drama, because that's what we do. We yes. specialise in new adaptations of ancient Greek comedy and tragedy. Yeah. And then, sort of about 13 years ago, a new writing inspired by myth. So I started a new strand, um, and that was new versions of um, plays inspired by myth. And the first one was called Bacchic, yes. which was a, a solo show on a rope. So I retrained uh, then as an aerialist uh, quite late, um, but uh, I've always been quite um, physically fit. So I took took that into my into my body and in my work. 
and um, and then so we have those two two strands, um, and then a third strand because we introduced an events strand about six years ago. Yeah. Uh, um, AOD events. So yeah, we we're um, we're on the road at the moment with uh, a new version of Antigone, working with um, a an American uh, writer based in London called Christopher Adams. Yes. And it's a new dystopian. Um, Black Mirror-esque kind of version of, of the play. I, I get the impression that it's the same line that we often talk about Shakespeare, with a lot of Greek tragedy, the further we get away from the period that it was written in, the more relevant it appears. I think they're so powerful, ancient Greek dramas, uh, and no more than today, really, with the kind of political upheaval that you see and the, the, I mean, any 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 number of them from Trojan women to Medea uh, to um, well, to 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 Antigone today the, the one that we're doing um, and what um, Christopher has has done he's repositioned it in a kind of future time so we're, we're very much it's a very social media fre- you know um, yeah. aware we're very much um, including the sort of technical it's a very untechnical show in terms of um, in terms of how we visualise um, this technical world. We don't have um, any, any um, cameras no. or... Um, it's all kind of um, inferred, really, and yes. in the lighting and in the sound and in the physicality of the performance. Yeah. Um, it's a, because we, we, it would have been lovely to have... Maybe that's the National Theatre version if we yes. were to do that with, yeah. a, with a much bigger version. Um, but I think in, in, in the writing, um, it's explicit... That we're in a 21st century world, you know. There is a there is a um, an app that's trending free free ant. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, that's mentioned. It's been picked up quite a lot, um, and um, you know various tweets are made. You know, there's, there's no direct reference. Well, actually, there is a direct reference to Trump, but we're not kind of saying that our creon is Trump per se, because that's quite an obvious thing to do and has been done before. But there are obvious parallels with anyone who who is in a in a in a situation of power who abuses that power yeah. I suppose and that's what that's about and that's that's going to continue the time immemorial look at Mugabe yeah. today he's how long has he been in power 36 years I think you know any 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 anybody who's in that position of power and that's what happens to him I think and arguably um, one could possibly um, stage a more passionate defense of Creon than they might of Trump in terms of his motives largely within Antigone. Well, I, I do have a lot of sympathy for Creon, actually. I think he uh, he's in the uh, wrong position at the, the wrong time, or the right position in the wrong time, you think, because of, of what happens. And because in this version, um, uh, Christopher, because you know it's, it's a story of two brothers, who, and yeah. one of them, one of them is buried, two brothers, one of them is buried, who kill each other one of them is buried honorably and the other is body is the traitor considered the traitor is left to rot on the field for birds and carrion to to peck at and this is the decree that creon has made yes. to make him an example to make polynices as, as an example because he 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 doesn't want any more fighting as no. he says clearly he wants to have uh, to preserve peace in the city and he's he's making this edict for a good reason yeah. as he sees it and he stands by that right to the end even though people are telling him it's wrong even though you know his his niece antigone uh, passionately believes that both of them should have 
deserve equal honours and that her the soul of her brother is not going to be put is not put to rest and he has yeah. to be put to rest because everybody deserves a, an honourable burial no matter what they've done yeah. whether they're a you know whether they're an beheader or member of ISIS or whatever they still deserve a burial yes. I suppose you could make those kind of those, those kind of parallels but I think that Antigone is just as belligerent in a way as Antigone and she's not a very sympathetic character no. and in this version I don't think you know there are many times that she isn't sympathetic and I do see a lot of parallels between the two of them yeah. um, you know so um, so no, I do have a lot of sympathy for him. Um, I think he does get a bit power crazy toward the end because he doesn't listen to anyone, and that's the thing. Um, the Greeks have a saying, which is moderation in all things, midan again, yeah. and he doesn't show moderation, and that's you know he shows hubris, and hubris is normally um, met with punishment. Yes, it's interesting indeed, isn't it? That it's Antigone's name on about the title. Yeah, because it's about Creon. Yeah. It's more about Creon. She's dead halfway through in in our, in our version. It's a cast of five, and they're all doubling as the chorus, and the yeah. chorus are a group of archivists, so they're a group of AI, so they're artificial intelligence, yeah. so it's, it's quite an exciting interpretation, um, I think. Um, so in, in, in terms of the actress uh, who plays um, Antigone, she's, she's on stage because she's playing other parts, and because we yes. show her death, yeah. she has more of a, you know, um, um, a presence in the play than in the original. Whereas in the original, oh, halfway through she's dead, and it's, yeah. it's Creon. It's all Creon. Creon yeah. with her is uh, Creon with um, um, Haman. Creon yeah. with Tiresias with the chorus. A little bit of Eurydice. Yeah. Um, so yes, it's it's very much about him. We were speaking on the podcast earlier this year to uh, the director of another version of Antigone in Brighton, um, Sam Chisden, and we remarked then what a challenge it can be for people who perhaps are not familiar with uh, Greek tragedy um, even acknowledging that phrase that it's often called Greek tragedy which um, colours your perception of it straight away and my go-to line because years back I myself directed Medea uh, my sort of guidance line was always a quote from no less than Mel and Sue on Room 101 and they talked about their pet hate being student, student theatre uh, going up to Edinburgh and seeing lots of young students in leotards tapping around the room going Jocasta baby killer Jocasta baby killer <laughs> which can be a little bit testing um, you you seem to be getting really good uh, audiences and really good responses um, how often do you find perhaps the audience members are surprised that Greek tragedy for want of a better phrase might not be what they're expecting it to be um, I think there are a lot of people who are surprised at this uh, version um, and that's mainly, I think, because it is, it is an exciting version. I think what Chris has created is, 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 is very contemporary. Um, I think Greek tragedy is very accessible. People have this idea that it's the preserve of, um, oh, you know, it's very difficult, yeah. complex. And if you look at some of the old translations, they're very, very prosaic and very old-fashioned, very... Um, text heavy. I find that really interesting because I, when I was doing my day I looked at lots of different versions I had a, a crazy idea for at least a week that I might write my own version and then was scared by that even though the words themselves were very similar and the paragraphs were very similar you could really tell the difference in tone and texture and sinew between one earlier version and one relatively modern version. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I, I think 
it, it, it makes such a difference in terms of accessibility and um, being actors being able to speak those lines, the poetry of those lines, the, the rhythm, the nuances. Um, with this version, uh, we worked, we, we reworked the script. Yeah. So we, uh, it wasn't a finished script by any means. Um, and we rewrote some of the scripts, so I think it's very collaborative. Yeah. Obviously, it's it's Chris's um, um, intellectual property, yes. but we we definitely changed the ending. We rewrote the, uh, some of the archivist moment. We, we put a lot of it because um, we had a three week period, which isn't very much, but yeah. it was enough time for us to to really get to grips. And so everyone, all, all you know, we 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 used his version as a basis. Yeah. So a lot of the scenes between Antigone and Ismene, um, and that relationship is much more beefed out here, yeah. as are some of the more incidental uh, roles like Eurydice. She's yeah. she's a very big character in this. Yeah. Um, Haman's a bigger character in this version, um, and so some of it was a little bit still to be found so um, we, 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 we played with that and then you know we filmed some bits and then yeah. and then we spoke again so we talked so yeah it was quite an in-depth process and even toward the, the last week of rehearsals we still didn't have the, the ending just I think we didn't have the ending when we went to our first venue yeah. so we we had a couple of days and then we, we, we uh, I, I suggested um, that we that we rewrite the, the end chorus so it was it was all about cleansing initially because that was partly to do with what was in the original yeah but then we we made it to do with we came back to the original and we looked at the lines about wisdom yeah being by far the greatest gift of all humanity yeah um, and so we took those lines from Sophocles and put them back in yeah. and that really made a lot of sense how do you, as a director and um, a collaborator, how do you find, does your approach to what a chorus is change from production to production? Do they serve a different device from different production? I think um, we generally, because we do chamber versions in terms of the number in our cast, we're usually around four or five. In this yeah. version, we've got five. The chorus is quite integrated, yeah. so we don't generally use mask. We have once or twice, um, but we delineate the lines so that the audience can go on an emotional journey with some of those, those choruses, yeah. really. And because often they are the point of contact for an audience, they are the audience's conscience, really. Yeah. So. Um, and we haven't often had them all saying the lines together, intoning yeah. in a kind of national theatre version, yeah. or you know. Um, so uh, in in this version, because they're a chorus of AIs, they still have their own individual little characteristics, yeah. even though their movements are, sure. are quite you know um, technical and quite um, uh, you know they're they're they're. they're they're very choreographic yeah. in some, some sense but they start malfunctioning mm -hmm. so and 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 in in terms of their intonation um you can see a little and that's partly to do with the actors as well yes. the, the little quirks that appear yeah. in the way they say a line um about love or yeah. whatever um so uh, yeah that i think they're they're very they're very important in the in the productions that we have i remember in um in trojan women we very clearly, as, as actually as in this version, in a sense, all the actors are on stage the whole time, so it's yes. quite Brechtian. Yeah. Uh, we have these four boxes and two a cage in the middle, and um, so transitions are mostly shown. Yeah. And I'm in, in a version of uh, Trojan Women we did many years ago. The um, the chorus changed. The three women. We had a chorus of 
we had a chorus of three women plus the main character of Hecabee and then one man who played the three parts yeah. and, and they she, the, the chorus changed into the three main female characters of Andromache, Cassandra and Helen yeah. and that was uh, a very sort of organic and physical transition but they may have had an element of those characters yeah. in, their, in their chorus that becomes really interesting, particularly through Antigone, because they begin to malfunction. There's something quite interesting going on with what the concept of a chorus is, because as you say, they're often the audience's conscience, they're our way in if we're finding the narrative difficult, and literally, if they speak as one voice, in that even the one thing they feel they can trust in the narrative becomes untrustworthy. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, well, in this version as well, they've been. It's uh, the conceit we have at the beginning of the play is that this this structure, uh, this um, machine that is the chorus, um, the motherboard, I yeah. suppose, has been put to rest. Yeah. And Ismene comes back, so it's a flashback, yeah. and she reactivates it yeah. to kind of. To, to clear her mind, I suppose, or to go to an area that she wants to put it to, to bed, yeah. put it to rest. So the whole drama unfolds as a result of her reactivating this thing that has been put to rest. So yeah. something in the future uh, that was very technological, if she shuts it down at the end, yeah. she says exit. So yeah. she turns her back on the technology yeah. in a sense. Well, we don't know for sure. Maybe she's now the, the leader. Yes. Because she's the only one alive, really. I mean, we've got Creon, but he's gone Gaga anyway. What's he got left? So she's the one who has to take the, the reins. You were speaking about like uh, having to rewrite the narrative or finding value in rewriting the narrative and finding a new ending within a story that already exists, obviously, for uh, several thousand years. How much do you find in terms of... Because quite often in, in something like uh, Antigone, the gag is we know what's going to happen it's 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 almost unavoidable the gods have decreed this so the characters arguably don't have their agency they don't have um they're not able to make a choice whereas it seems to be that you're blending that slightly and you're sort of smoothing the edges that they do have a bit more choice in their actions i think in terms of the the dynamic of any play you need to you need, you need to make the audience think that, that um, there's still a possibility yeah. that Creon might listen to Haman. Yeah. Um, there's still a possibility that uh, he may relent and give in to the caresses of his wife yeah. uh, when she says, give in. Mm. Uh, you, you need to see a little bit of those moments of maybe either you could say weakness or, or vulnerability yes. or, or not, not, you know, um, or not just arrogance. So, so not just the strength of someone so that even though that we know Oedipus is the killer of the kings it's the telling of the story yeah. really even though we've heard it over and over again to try and tell it in a really crisp, exciting and, and accessible way Yeah, You yourself have played Medea I love Medea actually she was the reason I, I studied classics and probably yeah. the reason I got involved in Access to Dionysus it was my um, well, one, of, one of the speeches for drama school along with Clytemnestra that I learned um, I have great sympathy for uh, Medea and her plight. I think she's kind of abandoned, and I think if you look at what's happened recently, and I'm going about, you know, the sexual harassment things, I'm not saying that, but, but, but the fact that she's been kind of left and dumped and neglected and um, 
for a younger model, yeah. it, I, I feel a great, great sympathy for her. Also, she's um, a bit of an asylum seeker, really. She's in another place. She's got, you know, no connection there. And um, I think the decision she makes, it's very, very extreme. But women do do that in those extreme circumstances, you know. And um, she goes too far, but I have a, a, a lot of um, sympathy for her. There is a sense of, well, we'll argue that she goes too far. All other avenues and options seem to be closed off to her because nobody is listening to her. You're right in that she's... Um, She's an asylum seeker, you know, depending on which version you want to go. She is a witch, this is how she saves Jason prior to the play. Um, and also, significantly, she's a woman as well. So there are lots of things that make her other in the narrative. So there seems to be, even if you do go beyond the wailing and gnashing of teeth, there is a, a, a howl of rage and there's nothing else open to her. Yeah. And it's an entirely coldly logical solution, because if Jason's marrying the hot young model in terms of furthering the family and it being an entirely political decision, her decision is coldly political as well. It, it, mm. it cuts off that line. Um, I think it's a very primeval response, a scream, I see it, that, that she, she, um, she's so terrified. Of being um, humiliated and laughed yeah. at, she, she she can't she can't bear the thought of that that she will be laughed. She's got such a heritage behind her, and yeah. her you know being the granddaughter of the Helios, the sun god. And, and um, we did a version a few years ago, which which uh, where she really we really did explore her witchcraft. Yeah. Kind of, well, she she was flying, so yes. we use the aerial dimension, yeah. Yeah. which is uh, another which is a version we'd like to develop yes. again. Yeah. I hope in uh, a couple of years' time. How that affects um, touring because obviously if you're looking at new venues they're going to have to have the appropriate roof they're going to have yeah, to have yeah. um, no that's an extremely we've only done it once in one venue for four, four nights we did a, a pilot version yeah. at the Rose Theatre in Kingston yeah. um, and we did have a tour booked but we didn't get our Arts Council funding so ah. unfortunately I had to pull the whole tour and it was a tour that was uh, it needs a day getting of course, uh, which yeah. is unusual yeah. for us because we this tour is like kind of a lot of one night stands I mean yeah. ideally I'd like to have two and three nights yeah um we haven't toured a big tour like this since 2010. We yeah. did a little one last year, but this is the biggest tour for six years that we've yeah. done. Um, so Medea would be mid-scale, mid to yes. large scale. Yeah. It's a much bigger scale and it would definitely need funding. You need to tour a rigger. Yeah, indeed. Um, and it would definitely be two or three days. Yeah. Um, such, it's a much more ambitious scale. Yeah. And also with Act of the Dionysus, you... Um you deliver workshops, you, you deliver sort of training, you, that, that's going to schools and colleges? Yeah, yeah, we go anywhere that will have us really. Yeah. Um, we're doing a, quite a few workshops on this tour. Um, Mark, who is uh, Mark Katz, who's our education officer, he does workshops. Yesterday we did a lecture at the University of Winchester. Yeah. Um, he's going back there next week to do another a workshop there. Yeah. We did workshops in Nottingham, uh, Leeds last week, this week, uh, today, uh, tomorrow in rugby, yeah. rugby school. Um, so yeah, we, 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 um, they're, they're kind of designed for what uh, the, the schools, the, the teachers want, but they're often connected to a syllabus because Course, yeah. Antigone is on the AQA and OCR syllabus, yeah. so so they're geared um, for, for students of drama and classics. Excellent. 
Also, I wanted to ask you briefly the way you bring physicality into um, the shows. And I guess I'm speaking particularly also to Tamsin, you, uh, as well as uh, Actors of Dionysus, in terms of your training in, I'm, I'm going to get the name pronunciation wrong, Lacole or um, Lacole? Oh, um, um, I, I trained with um, uh, Golia a bit Golia, after so, yes. I, I, I went to drama school, yeah. Oxford School of Drama, and then um, I retrained with Billy Golia, and then I went back to, uh, well, not back to, but I started an aerial course yeah. at um, the National Centre for Circus Arts, yeah. formerly Circus Space. Yeah. Um, um, and then found there was quite a lot of circus in Brighton, yeah. circus project, Bambazi, lots of different uh, teardrop circus, and yeah. so um, yeah, I've been, I was, then I trained. How does such a deep training in physicality uh, colour your approach to text and dialogue? And um, quite, quite, quite dramatically really um, in ter especially in terms of the new strands that we introduced because if you imagine we'd all we'd we'd always done sort of plays that were written yes. before and rehearsed we didn't really do any devised work so um, when we introduced the new strand in like 2006 2007 yeah. um, I worked with some different collaborators, uh, Jonathan Young, uh, who had his own company then called Shams, he was my co-writer and director, yeah. and Lucinka Eisler, who uh, works with one, she's one third of um, Inspector Sands, and so she came in as an outside eye, and so we scripted the piece on the physicality, and uh, just in a rehearsal room with a rope, um, and a video camera, mm -hmm. and um, so it was very much in response to a lot of the, the physicality. And but we didn't just say, oh, um, you're, you know, um, I didn't say, well, I'm, I'm an aerialist. I just want to throw that in the, the, for, 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 for Dionysus, uh, for, for Bacchae. Yeah. It was a new version of the Bacchae, which is what Bacchae was. Um, we wanted to look at who is this Dionysus in modern day context. Yeah. And um, I was really fascinated by, um, I think it was going to at Fatboy Slim's concert, actually, just seeing... That what, what, how people uh, love to be part of, of a group yes. and you know the transformation when you take drugs and it's the ex sure. ecstatic thing I mean Dionysus means transformation yeah, yeah. Um, and um, just how you can become other yes. um, and how it's, it's, it's it can be so attractive being part of something like that but also potentially really really destructive yes. so it's that balance um, because there's a lot of good in what yeah. uh, Dionysus represents but yeah. there's also a lot of danger. Yeah. Um, so the rope represented his um, godly status, his, his yeah. demigod, because he's part god. Yeah. Um, so it represented that line to it's sorry, religious play, it's about religious religion versus science. Yes. So that represented that connection to God. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't on the rope the whole time, but I was probably half the time. Yeah. Um, but the but the text did come a lot from the physicality. Yeah, I, I've uh, you were speaking about sort of um, that boy Slim or whatever. I've never been part of that crowd of you know going to a nightclub and sort of um, popping pills and whatever. But it does occur to me that there's a nice comparison to be made of a thousand people all dancing to the same beat. That's quite clearly a chorus. That's quite yeah. clearly sort of they're part of the same dynamic. Yeah. Um, exactly. We're gonna uh, you know we're gonna end very soon. Um, we normally end the podcast with um, three questions, which normally uh, Tamsin I I warn my uh, uh, interviewee about, and I've not warned you at all. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> so we're gonna throw this out here. So one of the questions is that um, 
we're, we happen to be, as I say, we're in Cafe Mojo now, uh, which is where I tend to spend a lot of my time writing and sort of trying to be creative and looking like I know what I'm talking about. Um, you, you're in Brighton yourself. Is there, when you're working on a new translation, when you're um, having a meeting, is there a coffee shop or place that you like to hang out in that you'd like to give a shout out to? Mm, okay. Um, I, I've gone recently down to Egg and Spoon. Oh yes. In um, Kemp Town, they do a very nice um, veggie breakfast. Um, I'm not veggie, but I just do <laughs> like veggie, and it's. But how uh, long have you been in Brighton? Um, since 2013, properly. Oh, give it time. No, 2003. 2003. My God, I've lost it was 10 years. I know, I know. It was 2003. Yeah, I've okay. been here a long time, actually. Um, and there's a really nice cafe, actually. Um, the other one is Starfish and Coffee. Oh yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, just outside Queen's Park. Mm -hmm. They yes. do a great, oh, amazing breakfast there. Is that the one that was um, Home. recently refurbed? Yes. Which always looked to me like it had a great uh, potential to be yes. a theatre and cafe. Ah, yes. Um, but I'm not financially comfortable enough <laughs> to be able to have bought it first. Um, but it has a lovely sort of um, basement area downstairs. Yes, yes it does. Um, Maybe they'll do something with that because it doesn't seem to be having anything done to it at the moment. But, perhaps. But uh, that's very good. Not the right place for Ariel, but certainly. Um, no, no, uh, very low. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, one of the other questions we ask is, um, which is the question I should have prepped you for. Um, back in the day when you were a kid, or even ten or three years ago, um, you may have come up with the idea for a thing, like an invention, or a story, or a device that you thought was a good idea at the time and didn't do anything with. And since then, somebody else has invented the iPhone or written a series of novels about a boy wizard. Um, oh is there something that um, you, has occurred to you in your life that you thought, oh, that might work, and actually somebody else has got to the idea before you? Well, that's, that's such a good question. Um, God, it's, a, it's a great question if I prepped you for it. <laughs> Um, well, um, I didn't, I think, um, I'm just thinking of inventions that are very good, um, like the peewee, which is the woman who needs to be <laughs> yeah, when yeah. they're standing up. Um, I, did, I, think, I didn't think of that before it was invented, though, but I do think that's a great invention. I've never used it, though, no. actually. Uh, I'll just go behind a tree if I need yeah. to. Oh, that's revealing too much there, isn't it? Oh, God. Um, Okay, well, we'll, 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 we'll because uh, I, I apologise, I, I didn't prep you for that. Uh, so we'll, we'll end on the um, the other question, which um, is generally, what would you recommend at the moment? Is there another podcast that you're listening to at the moment? Is there a book that you're reading at the moment? Is there a TV series that you're binging on? Is, is there an album that you're listening to? What uh, what what you enjoy at the moment that you want to give a shout uh, out to? Well, um, I'm really behind with things in terms of um, like Netflix and stuff and this is really like everyone's probably watched it and, and now I'm watching it at a time when it's really not fashionable to watch it uh, which is House of Cards and it's particularly not fashionable because Kevin Spacey yes. all the, which makes it, it makes it more difficult viewing actually and not quite as enjoyable as as, as it was because I do think it's a brilliant series yeah. I do like that I was wanting to watch Breaking Bad after everyone else watched yes. it and I do like that um, I would really like to go and see um, Brian Cranston at yes. the National yeah. in the network. Network, yeah. network, yeah. Uh, so that's something I'd love to go and see. Um, I. 
I'm reading at the moment. I've got dipping in and out of so many different books. Um, but I'm reading a book by Maggie, Maggie O'Farrell, who is an Irish writer. Um, and um, I must plug a book that she wrote years ago called The Hand That First Held Mine, which is a fantastic book. It's yeah. not the book I'm reading at the moment, but no. it's, it's a really good book. Um, and I can't even remember the title of the book that I'm reading at the moment um, of hers, but it's her latest book. Yeah. It's taking a bit longer to get into, yeah. I must admit, because there's so many different characters. It starts with a different person in I each see, chapter. Yeah, yeah. So, and I find that. Um, there's a really good book um, that sometimes I read a chapter of, which is called A History of Ancient Greece in 50 oh, yes. Lives. Yeah. That's uh, by David Stuttard. Uh, that's a, that's an, an exciting book. So it's an A to Z of people from yeah. like Alcibiades to um, Sappho, yeah. a brilliant poetess. Yeah. And in terms of music, um, I really like um, Agnes Obel. I don't know if you've heard of her. I don't her. think I have. She's, um, I think she's Scandinavian. I'm not sure Finnish or yeah. Norwegian. I'm not sure. Um, she has a really, really haunting quality to yeah. her work. Um, and, and I'm working on a new project um, which is working with um, our sound designer because the yes. sound designer for I must plug the sound designer yeah. from Antigone um, with a fantastic composer called Matt Eaton and he, I'm working with him on another project so I'm very much looking forward to the sound yeah. that he's going to create on that project yeah. which is not related to AOD whatsoever so which is exciting for me so yes uh, so we should really give a shout out I mean uh, this uh, podcast is being listened to internationally as far as we know um, but we'll first of all give a little shout out to um, where you're playing in Brighton which is at uh, Rodine Rodine Theatre next Tuesday the 21st yeah. and the performance is at 7.30 and if you want to book tickets uh, you can go online at www.rodinetheatre I think it's .co.uk or you can book tickets at uh, on 01273 667 Excellent. Um, what's next? Do you know what's next oh, for Actors of Dionysus? I, I'm not quite sure what's next for Actors of Dionysus. For me personally, I've been commissioned um, to do an aerial duo, a duet, uh, with um, uh, another aerialist much younger than me. Uh, we're kind of doing a mother-daughter relationship. Yeah. Um, and she's called Maisie Taylor. She's a fantastic performer, uh, a graduate, first class graduate um, from the National Centre of Circus Arts. And that's been commissioned by the Lowry at Salford. And it's called Everything I See I Swallow. Fantastic. And as far as Actors of Dionysus is concerned, I think that Antigone could run and run. Yep. Um, we've had various festivals interested. Latitude came to see it, Adabelli with the Pleasants, I think. And so um, we're looking at possibilities yeah. for maybe next autumn and beyond. Excellent. Well, for next autumn and far beyond, uh, best of luck and uh, thank you. Thank you. This has been the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast. Presented by Andrew Allen. And edited by Michelle Donkey. Music is Chapstick by Everett Armand. Find us on Twitter, cast underscore Iron Acts. On Facebook, Ironclad Cast Iron, or one word. Our website is castironbrighton.weebly.com. Subscribe to us and rate us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thanks for listening.